0: You'd remain standing for this morning's scripture reading, which comes from Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses one through seventeen. Paul writes this Brothers and sisters, we have a request for you concerning our Lord Jesus Christ's coming and when we are gathered together to be with him. We don't want you to be easily confused in your mind or upset if you hear that the day of the Lord is already here, whether you hear it through some spirit, a message, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. That day won't come unless the rebellion comes first and the person who is lawless is revealed, who is headed for destruction. He is the opponent of every so-called God or object of worship and promotes himself over them. So he sits in God's temple displaying himself to show that he is God. You remember that I used to tell you these things while I was with you, don't you? Now you know what holds him back so that he can be revealed when his time comes. The hidden plan to live without any laws at work now, but it will be secret only until the one who is holding it back is out of the way. Then the person who is lawless will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth when the Lord comes. His appearance will put an end to him. When the person who is lawless comes, it will happen through Satan's effort with all kinds of fake power, signs, and wonders. It will happen with every sort of wicked deception of those who are headed toward destruction because they have refused to love the truth that would allow them to be saved. This is why God will send them an influence that will mislead them so that they will believe the lie. The result will be that everyone will be judged who is not convinced by the truth but is happy with injustice. But we must always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, who are loved by God. This is because He chose you from the beginning to be the first crop of the harvest. This brought salvation through your dedication to God by the Spirit and through your belief in the truth. God called all of you through our good news so you could possess the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the traditions we taught you, whether we taught you in person or through our letter. Our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and a good hope. May He encourage your hearts and give you strength in every good thing you do or say. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. This morning we're continuing our sermon series, Marathon Faith, where we've been looking to, at Paul's two letters to the church in Thessalonica. As we've seen and as we have read through these letters, Paul is writing to a church that is experiencing challenges and persecution. And because of the persecution and because of the challenges, they had been led into misleading, misled into believing that the reason that they were experiencing them is because they had missed the tribulation or the return of Jesus. And so, as we looked at last week, The Thessalonians, uh, what biblical scholars believe is that the Thessalonians had received a letter from someone who was claiming to be Paul. And the letter told the Thessalonians that they'd missed the boat when it came to Jesus' return. And so without Paul or Silas or Timothy to correct them when they received this letter, they believed the lie that had been sent to them. That's a pretty good one, right? Okay. In his commentary on 2 Thessalonians, there's a biblical scholar named N.T. Wright, and he uses an example. He's British when he writes about, about Thessalonians. And, and he writes about a British naval commander named Horatio Nelson, which is Lord Admiral Nelson that we read about in history. In 1801, Nelson was the commander of a, Na- of a British fleet that was laying siege to the city of Copenhagen. When one of his subordin- subordinates reported to him that they had seen the signal directing them to withdraw from the siege from another ship, Nelson took his telescope and held it to his right eye and reported, I do not see the signal. The fleet continued the siege. Copenhagen fell. Nelson was famous throughout, I mean, in British history, he's famous in terms of being a naval commander. But the part that makes this story uh, interesting and also pertinent to our discussion this morning is that Nelson was blind in his right eye. And so he had been blinded a few years before at the Battle of Calvi in the Corsica. And so when he held the telescope to his right eye, he chose not to acknowledge the signal. And so he placed himself in one of those positions where he was telling the truth because he could not see the signal, but he also chose to ignore the truth at the same time, didn't he? It was true, he couldn't see the signal. But he also couldn't see anything else out of his right eye. So he probably could have used his left eye, seen the signal, and then he would have had to to withdraw from the siege. And so while we might smile at his flexibility in ensuring that he didn't directly disobey the order that he'd received, he basically bent the truth to kind of lie about what he saw, didn't he? It was believable It was truth enough, and he was able to achieve what he wanted and desired, and he's certainly not unique. It's just as we look in history, he's someone that presents us just a great example of that, which is to tell something not completely true, to tell a story or to weave a web of stories that have just enough truth to, to be believable, while also containing enough of a gray area or maybe a lie to not be completely true to go further we may know of stories or stories ourselves that we have heard of where people have told a lie or told an exaggeration so much or for so long that they're no longer able to differentiate between what the actual truth is and what the part is that they've expanded their story on that's how you get in trouble in telling a lie right is when we're wrong and when we lose the ability to differentiate between what's true and what's fabricated. And so I'll be honest, when we read this morning scripture, it, it, it presents something like that to us. And it also presents some words that, that cause us to step back and to think about what we've heard and about what we know in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the New Testament. And so as we read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I found it interesting that there are parts of this Scripture that are well-known, which is the very beginning, first three verses or so, and then the very end, verses 13 through 17, that we'll look at in a few minutes. But there's also parts of this Scripture that, quite honestly, if you were to go and to read a commentary, or, well, a commentary will cover it, but if you're going to go and look at, at uh the, the common lectionary, which is like a calendar that lays out scriptures for preachers to preach every week. They skip these verses entirely. And it's because they're apocalyptic. And so they talk about the end times. They talk about judgment. And, and what Paul is telling the Thessalonians, because we have to put ourselves in their shoes as we read this scripture. And remember that someone has told them and that they are believing that Jesus' return is imminent. It's not something that's going to happen in a far-off future time where you and I are able to look back and go, man, it's been 2,000 years and we're still waiting. But for them, it was coming. And so Paul basically tells them, you have to pay attention and look ahead. When Jesus comes, there's going to be a lawless one that we also call the Antichrist, where the Holy Spirit is, is restraining. And the Scripture says, Paul says the lawless one is being restrained And when the one that is restraining is removed, then the lawless one will be released, and we all will know. Or at least the world will know, because the Scripture says that those who are believers will not experience that. And so since the first community, people have speculated who this person is. Whether it's a various popes, Gorbachev for a while was the lawless one, the Antichrist, Hitler was the Antichrist, Nero or other Roman emperors who claimed that they were God and who claimed that they were divinity or divine you know the earliest Christians thought that they were ones that were the Antichrist although last night as I was finding this picture that kind of illustrates it without showing any modern person uh, I also saw that you could find um, either of our past two presidents not the current one yet is the Antichrist as well as Putin in Russia so and Oprah Winfrey who knew um So what I'm saying to that is we can laugh about it, but there are people that have obviously spent a lot of time and are spending a lot of time trying to figure that out. I think for many of them it's because they can make money selling books and figuring that out or getting us to subscribe to whatever newsletter or other thing it is that they put out. But I think what it's important for us to see when we think about the Antichrist and and about the apocalypse is obviously it's something that's far off, it's something that's going to happen, and it's something that as believers we don't really have to worry about except for living our lives in the right way to be prepared for it. But for the Thessalonians, for whatever reason, this letter that they had received was telling them that, that they'd missed it. And so, understandably, they were, I think, a little freaked out. And so Paul's telling them they haven't missed it. They haven't missed Jesus' return. They haven't missed what is going to occur. And most importantly for us in the church today, is that something that we can still listen to and receive today? And so rather than spend a bunch of time and energy speculating on who the lawless one is going to be, Paul writes a helpful verse in his letter to Titus. In Titus chapter two verse thirteen, where he says, We're better served to be looking for the blessing for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is writing when it comes to the end times is he's saying we're better served being Christians today and living the right way and engaging in ministry and engaging in worship than we are speculating and anticipating what's going to happen. Because we know from the Thessalonians' letters that when they started waiting and looking and anticipating, they stopped doing everything and they were gathered in the streets looking to the sky. And it didn't do anything except cause concern and get all of their neighbors really upset. And so what Paul says to us in this letter is that our future is in Jesus Christ and it's in nothing else. My future is in Jesus, your future is in Jesus, our future as a Christian community is in Jesus Christ, and for us to spend all sorts of time and all sorts of energy looking and waiting and trying to predict who or what or how it's going to happen is just a waste of time and energy that we're putting into it. I found a helpful comparison in in one of the commentaries about um, the Christian life that I think illustrates it. And so the author writes that the Christian life is like a song that all of us know. I don't know, happy birthday. So think of that song being played in your head or on the piano. And then the person gets to the very last note that's playing it and they stop and they don't play that last note. They get up, they leave the piano. What do you do? The person that wrote this example said, he all of a sudden heard upstairs his son singing the last note. He heard another child humming the last note. And then I think someone else came and said, why didn't you finish the song? But when we compare that to the Christian life, We can talk about how God has played all the notes and God has written it all out when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to living faithfully and when it comes to us living in response to his grace. And God invites us to be in relationship with him and God has written all the notes and laid it all out and Jesus Christ is there and is part of it and we've received the Holy Spirit and we're waiting just like the Thessalonians were waiting but guess whose note is the last note to be played? It's not yours. It's God's, isn't it? And so even as Jesus told the earliest Christians, no one knows the time or day, not even the Father, or or not even the Son, only God the Father knows, basically helps us to see and helps me to think that the last note is not mine to anticipate or to or to just or to try and project. But the last note is God's and it's our job to only be prepared so that we might hear it. So instead of just talking about apocalyptic language, I think what we should focus on this morning as well is the last few verses that Paul has written to the second, to, in Thess, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Because in these words, Paul focuses on encouraging the Thessalonians and us when we face challenges or troubles. And so the first thing that he focuses on is he says, as believers, when you are facing challenges or troubles, you are to focus on the word of God and to stand fast in the truth so that uh, what you receive is that of, of God. And so Paul reassures them. He says, your salvation is secure. You're sanctified by God's Spirit. And then he writes this. But we always must thank God for you, brothers and sisters who are loved by God. This is because he chose you from the beginning to be the first crop of the harvest. This brought salvation through your dedication to God by the Spirit and through your belief in the truth. God called all of you through our good news so you could possess the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm. And hold on to the traditions we taught you, whether we taught you in person or through our letter. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope. May he encourage your hearts and give you strength in every good thing that you do or say. I see, here's what I catch. It's Paul is telling us to be thankful to God for the gift of salvation. And then in being thankful, Paul is saying that every one of us have been the first fruits. The first part of the harvest that in order, we'll, we'll have the opportunity to, to sit in the glory and presence of God when his kingdom becomes a reality and when Jesus returns. And so he says our action then is that. Our action is then to live in the light of the hope that we've received. Not just because of what Paul taught, but for those of us, I mean, we obviously have the benefit that the Thessalonians didn't have of being able to read all of these other letters that Paul has written. We have the written account of the Gospels that tell us of the good news of Jesus Christ. We're able to uh, benefit from you know 2,000 years of scholarship and of tradition and of people looking and examining and thinking about what it means to be a Christian. But Paul says we can hear this and we have to live in the light of hope. And to frame that in being one of the first fruits of the harvest, then what that is saying is is us recognizing that from the beginning God has chosen each of us. That God has chosen you. Each and every one of you. God's chosen each of us who are imperfect, who are incomplete, who are unable to save ourselves except by and through His grace, but God has chosen you. And even in that, Paul is saying... You're the first fruit of God's work, of God's vineyard, of whatever language you want to use, whatever metaphor speaks to you, but that God has chosen you. The second part that Paul says that we are to hold on to is we are to stand fast and hold to the traditions that you were taught. So he's saying stand firm, stand fast. He wants the the Thessalonians us to realize that the Word of God is the foundation on which we are to build and craft our lives in faith. That we can't be tossed about by the spiritual wind and waves if we've placed ourselves firmly on God's words. Friends, for us to stand on the Word of God means we have to know the Word of God. We have to read it. We have to focus on it. We have to listen to it. And we have to do it more than just once or twice a week, but we have to make it part of who we are and of how we choose to live. And then Paul says, hold on to the traditions that you've been taught. So at first glance, I think when we think traditions, I think it's recent traditions. We might think of uh, the way we do things in the church, like how candlelight on Christmas Eve goes or how something is decorated or something like that. But what Paul really means when he talks about traditions is he talks about spiritual truths that are passed on from generation to generation. Friends, we have to know our history. We have to know who we are and what we are and how we are part of of the Christian movement and the Christian faith, not just today, but that we benefit from 2,000 years of instruction and of people wrestling with Scripture and wrestling with the truth and wrestling with what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so if you think about it, these spiritual truths are things that, that Paul passed on to the earliest Christians, and then they pass them on and they've passed them on and they've been passed on until till we've received them today. And traditions are those foundational beliefs that are common that you and I share with the earliest church. We share with the ancient church. They're teachings that are foundational of what it means for us to be a follower of God and a follower of Jesus Christ. And so actually I think Well, I think I'm going to do for the next sermon series. Um, We're going to look at, at what those building blocks are of what it means for us to be Christians. What are the foundational things? As we talk about what's essential to being a follower of Jesus Christ so that we know what we believe, so that we know that we are. Because what Paul is saying in this letter is that's one of the things that the Thessalonians have to do and have to place themselves firmly on in order to understand so that as they're facing trials, as they're facing troubles, as they're facing these other voices that are coming in and telling them that either they're living wrong or doing wrong or they've missed the boat altogether, they can look back and they can go, well, no, that's not really right because we know who we are and we know what we believe. And when we know who we are and we know what we believe, then we are able to hold God's truth firmly in our hearts and we're able to never let it slip from us. Knowing God's truth doesn't exempt us from trials. It doesn't exempt us from challenges, but it does help us to know and it helps us to remember that God is always in control. And then when we know when God is in control, we know that God has a plan for us. Because He did everything for each of us. For each of you. And when Christ is our foundation, and we've built our lives on these foundations of faith, then we can stand fast and we can actually thrive. Even when we're in the midst of the trials and of the challenges that are before us. See, Paul says, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the traditions we taught you, whether in person or through our letter. And then he says, this is what we receive in turn. God will encourage our hearts and give you strength in every good thing that you do or that you say. Amen.